it's a blessing to see you tonight. Thank you so much for coming back to be with us in the evening service, and I appreciate so much the opportunity to be able to uh, preach this evening. Brother Bobby asked me after lunch if I would uh, preach. He said, I know you're on vacation and you're probably tired. He said, uh, but would you like to preach this evening? And I said, yeah, I got an hour to rest between now and then. I'm just, <laughs> we'll be fine. Thank you. Brother Bobby, I appreciated that message this morning. I commented to my wife in Fontaine. I said, I think I went to a college class on Bible Survey 101 this morning. You covered it all, and it was a real, real blessing. Thank you so much, sister, for your playing. You play beautifully. What a blessing that is. And young folks working in the sound booth and leading the music. Thank you so very much. What a blessing it is. All right, I'm going to get right to it this evening because Brother Bobby said this morning, he said that this evening he was going to carry on what he had started this morning. And since he covered 29 verses this morning, I thought, man, we're going to be here a long time tonight. So I get as much time as he would get. Is that right? Oh, you, what a bunch of spiritual bunch. You know you don't mean that. You're just being sweet. But thank you so very much. And so turn with me to John's Gospel in chapter 3. A very familiar passage of Scripture and a certainly very familiar passage of Scripture along with a verse that I'm going to speak about uh, this evening. And so I want to begin reading in chapter one, uh, chapter 3 and verse 1 of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible records there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi... We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeneth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. Whether it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? And knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we've seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe me not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever... Believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now I'm going to read one more verse, and I'm going to impose a thought in here. Now I'm not adding to the Word of God, and I certainly would not diminish from the Word of God. But if you notice that Jesus started out with Nicodemus, having been told that Nicodemus believed he was a teacher come from God. So Nicodemus is willing to be taught. And Jesus begins to teach him, doesn't he? He teaches him how you got to be born again and how you get born again and, and what it's like when you're born again. And then in verse 15, he says that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I would presuppose that about this time, Nicodemus is looking really confused. 
I mean, Jesus has had to explain everything, hadn't he, going down through here. And, uh, you know, in the, in the original autographs, there are no verse divisions, no chapter divisions. So this is, this is carrying right on. So I can, I can just uh, imagine Nicodemus' face by going, man, what's that? What? And so Jesus is now going to give him the greatest lesson that he will ever have in his pharisaical life or in his life as a teacher of the Jews. And Jesus says... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus just gave Nicodemus the greatest lesson about God the Father that he will ever receive. Ever receive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the evening. I pray you'll bless these words from your word to our hearts. May they be an encouragement and a challenge to us. And may you be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We know from Paul's declaration in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, what the gospel is. So by revelation definition, it is the declaration that according to Scripture, Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. So there we have it, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, or as we call it, the gospel. The word gospel is a translation of the Greek word evangelon or egogjon, and it means good news. And the good news is that all sinners, to all sinners, is that Christ paid the sin debt that we all owe to God. According to Romans 6 and 23 in the first part of that verse, for the wages of sin is death. And then it goes on in these verses before us, Jesus reveals to Nicodemus what he and all other Jewish teachers have failed to realize about the God they serve. Now remember, they're not clued into Jesus being the Messiah, but they're real hot on Jehovah being God. And so Jesus is going to give him the best and most upfront and in-your-face definition of God. Now, remember, the Jews believed at, that they were the only ones that God was interested in. They believed that if you weren't a Jew, you, you were nothing. I mean, two kinds of people in the world to them, there were Jews and Gentiles. And the, the Jews were God's chosen, and the Gentiles were dogs. And so now Jesus is going to inform Nicodemus that everybody, everywhere, is included in the promise of God, salvation by grace through the gospel. And so in this passage of scripture, what I see in verse 16 is that, that, that Jesus is informing Nicodemus about God. Now you say, well, now that's kind of strange. He was a, a ruler of the Jews and a teacher of the Jews. Certainly he taught about God, but you know, they didn't have the clear picture of who God was. They thought God was that, 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 that shadowy, uh, 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 mean-spirited, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, angry person who, if you didn't keep the law, you were going to get thundered. But listen to what Jesus tells Nicodemus, and I think you're going to enjoy when we see what Nicodemus learns about God. Because do you know in all of the passages of Scripture where Jesus is teaching those whom he's speaking to, by secondary application, he's talking to us. Inspiration keeps this intact so that we get what they got back when they got it. And so in this passage, I want you to notice that Jesus reveals to Nicodemus about God. Notice what he revealed. First of all, he told him that God is divinely magnanimous. You say, now, preacher, that's a big word. Yeah, it is a big word. And I still remember hearing it for the very first time. Now, the word magnanimous means gracious with the power to be otherwise. 
Somebody who is magnanimous about something means that they can be otherwise and they've got the power and the authority to be otherwise, but they're going to be nice. I first heard that word years ago when the British uh, Isle or the British government was in a war with Argentina. How many of you remember the Falklands conflict years ago when, when Argentina claimed the Falkland Islands, which had been a possession of Great Britain for, for uh, you know, years and years and years. And so Argentina thought they would go to war with Great Britain, and boy, didn't they make a mistake because they got shellacked. Yeah, they did. They lost the only battleship they had, the General Belgrano. Great Britain sank it with one torpedo. Argentina paid $6 million for a mothballed battleship from the United States, renamed it the General Belgrano, and Great Britain shot $1 million torpedo and sank the thing. And they recovered the Falkland Islands. Well, the British people were quite frustrated and angry, so to speak, about Argentina. And they thought they'd gotten off light, that we should go in there and take over the whole country. And I'll never forget Margaret Thatcher who was the prime minister at the time, and you know it was a Russian journalist that nicknamed her the Iron Lady, said in dealing with her, recognize you're dealing with the Iron Lady. But Margaret Thatcher said to the British people in a telecast, she said, we will not do this. We are the greater power, and we can afford to be magnanimous. That's exactly what Jesus is telling Nicodemus about God. He said, the God you serve, Nicodemus, is divinely magnanimous. He has all power and all authority to wipe us out. And to put his foot down hard on us. But he didn't choose to do that because he says, for God so loved the world. I think Nicodemus is hearing for the very first time that God loved somebody other than the Jews. And so we see this intensity of God's love is revealed here because he said God so loved. He so loved. We see in the scriptures over and over about the love of God. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. So I see that, 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 Jesus, or that uh, uh, Jesus was informing Nicodemus about the God he served, and he's trying to get him to see, look, look, people have to be born again. You have to be born again. And this is how you get born again. This is what it means to be born again. And I'm sure Nicodemus is thinking, wait a minute. You know, we haven't been taught that all these years. See, the Jews believed that they got righteousness imparted to them by keeping the law. But Paul said in the New Testament, he said, if there had ever been a law given that could have been given life, he said, then righteousness would come by the law. But since there hasn't been a law given that could ever give life, righteousness doesn't come by the law. And so in this regard, Nicodemus is learning that salvation is not based upon just your Jewishness. It's not based just upon your, your, your professed goodness. It's based upon God's grace and mercy by you being born again of his spirit. And so he teaches him about God, and he says, Nicodemus, now I'm, I'm interpreting what, what he said to him. By the way, did you know that it's the translator's job to translate the scriptures, and it's the preacher's job to interpret them? The problem today is we got a lot of preachers trying to translate the scriptures, and they're not qualified to do so. I had a preacher tell me years ago, he said, well, you know, this word means this, and that word means that. And I said, well, I said, 57 of the most scholarly men on the planet uh, translated the King James Bible. I think they knew what that word meant. I said, and if you want me to take your word over those, you're going to lose every time. I'm just not going to do it. 
And so in this regard, we see the intensity of God's love revealed, for he so loved the world. But then also we see the immensity of God's love revealed to Nicodemus. He says, the world. He didn't just say the Jews, did he? For God so loved the Jews, Nicodemus would go, oh, yeah, well, I, I knew that. And I, no, no, he said the world. And I, I believe that Nicodemus was staggering trying to take in that thought. Stank, trying to take in that thought. And that's because he's having, he's having a God revealed to him who is divinely magnanimous. God who has all power. He's being kind. And he's being you know, gracious to the world. And then notice in verse 16 as we come on down, for God so loved the world, he's telling Nicodemus God is divinely magnanimous. Then notice secondly, he says that he gave his only begotten son. Now he's telling Nicodemus that God is also unbelievably generous. That he gave his only begotten son. How could somebody be more generous than to give their only son's life for everyone else? Would you agree with me? That's pretty generous. Travis Harris, a preacher friend of mine who's with the Lord now, I heard him say one time when he talked about God giving his only begotten son, he said, consider your children and how much you love them. And I have two daughters, as you know, and I love them. I got eight grandkids now, too. And uh, he said, you know, what would it be like if God asked you to give one of your children whom you loved and it was the only one you had for everybody else's life? That's quite an asking, wouldn't you agree? That's quite an asking. And you would have to be unbelievably generous in your spirit and in your soul to agree to such an endeavor. But that's exactly what God the Father did. He gave his only begotten son and I guarantee you Nicodemus is hearing for the first time in his life how absolutely generous Jehovah actually is. Jehovah really is. He is unbelievably generous. We see God's revealed as the greatest giver of all time in all of the scripture. Did Jesus not say, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, or Paul said, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that he was rich for your sakes, he became poor that you might be made rich in him. And so we've always known God from the New Testament as an absolutely, unbelievably generous God. He gives, he gives, he gives, he gives, he continues to give. He gives when we don't deserve it, and he gives when we can't merit to deserve it. Unbelievable. But not only did he reveal the intensity of God's love, God so loved. That's, that's, that's telling you the force of how much God loves. You know, a young man may say to his girlfriend or he may say uh, to his wife, he may say, you know, I really love you. But boy, that's not the same as he says, I want you to know that I love you with all my heart. And I love you more than anybody on the planet. That's what so love is. For God so loved. And so we see the, the, the uh, uh, God revealed as the greatest giver, but also notice he reveals Jesus as the greatest gift. Gave his only begotten son. Think about that. His only son. The only one he has. The only one he'll ever have. Now God has some sons by the new, daughters by the new birth, but he only had one from eternity. And only one co-equal and co-eternal in the Godhead. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So Nicodemus, he, he's getting... I'll tell you what, he's getting, Brother Bobby, he's getting God 101. He's in a college class. He's getting God 101 from this teacher who came from God. And he's being told that God is divinely magnanimous. 
He loves the world, that God is unbelievably generous. He gave his only begotten son. And then thirdly, notice in verse 16, that whosoever believeth in him, now he's being told that God is exceedingly gracious. Because anybody can believe. Doesn't have to be a Jew. Did you know the Bible tells us in the New Testament that we are now the children of God, the children of Abraham by faith in Christ? See, we got in on the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, by faith in Christ. Yeah, by faith. And you know what? We didn't have to meet all of the stipulations of being a Jew or a Jewess. And so here we find that he's telling Nicodemus that God is exceedingly gracious, that whosoever believeth in him. Now look, we, we see the enormity of the, the salvation uh, offer that is displayed here when he says whosoever. How many times have you heard pastors and preachers preach on the John 3.16? I've preached on it several times myself, you know, uh, over the years on a different message every time. Because every time I look into it, it's like the Lord shows me something different as, as he did here. Nicodemus is being schooled about God. And so now Jesus is saying to him that whosoever... I, you know, Nicodemus, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's trying not to look confused. And I'm sure he's trying to look stately and scholarly because, you know, he is a master in Israel and a, and a, and a, you know, a ruler in Israel. And, and, but, I'm, but I'm thinking that he's really wanting to go, what in the world is this all about? What does he mean, whosoever? Now, Nicodemus is smart enough to understand what many preachers today don't. Whosoever means whosoever. It means everybody. It means anybody. Who is excluded from whosoever? Nobody. Who is included in whosoever? Everybody. Can we get that? Say amen. I heard Dr. David Jeremiah this morning say, can I get a witness? I said, I think I'm going to start using that phrase. Can I get a witness? Find out if y'all are. I wonder how many of you sent your body tonight and left your head at home. Sometimes that's how we come when we're tired, don't we? But he's exceedingly gracious. The, the, the enormity of his love in salvation is declared that whosoever can come to him. And then we see the simplicity that's revealed in it. Believeth in him. Did you know there's nothing simpler than believing? Now getting to that point may take a little bit. Persuasion and conviction of the Holy Spirit, obviously, but there's nothing simpler than believing. It's the th only thing that anybody, anywhere, at any time, under any circumstances can do. We've had soldiers believe in God in a foxhole with the bombs dropping all around them. We've had folks believe in God sitting in a preaching service, thinking that, that the preacher is speaking to them personally when he's speaking the truth generally. Because believing is the simplest thing that anybody can do when it comes to the scriptures and God. And Pastor covered that very, very admirably this morning, I might add. So he's telling Nicodemus, God is divinely magnanimous. God is unbelievably generous. He's exceedingly gracious. And salvation is so simple. Just believe. That's all you have to do. We must go from believing in him to believing on him. Now, if you're born again of God's Spirit tonight and you have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you just witness by just lifting your hand briefly and putting it back down? All right, I think that's about everybody in here as I scan the room, okay? So that means that you, all of you and I, have gone from believing in Jesus to believing on Jesus. 
And the greatest illustration that I know to demonstrate the difference between believing in and believing on, and it's very important, that difference, because the Bible says the devils believe, but they're not saved. If you look, for instance, at this pew, this pew has one purpose in life, one purpose in this building, and that's to hold me up if I sit on it. Would you agree? Now, I really believe that's a pew. You all believe that's a pew? You all believe that pew holds you up if you sit on it? Well, you can believe that your whole life and never sit on it. But I'm going to go from believing in to believing on. You can't see it, but I've got my feet off the floor. Now, if this pew falls, I fall. But this pew is holding me up. And I believe that that pew would, and now I believe that that pew can. And so I've gone from believing in to believing on. And basically, that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus in this verse. When he says, whosoever believeth in him. Not just believeth in, but also believe on him. And that's really the simple matter of salvation. I, I don't know how many people I've heard uh, over the years that, <clears throat> that, that like to say, you know, something like this. Well, you know, I've always been a believer. We hear that a lot in England. That's, that's pretty common in England. Or, well, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. So what they're basically saying is, I believe in Jesus. I, you know, I believe that he was the Son of God. I believe that he died, was buried, and rose again. But there's a difference in believing in and believing on. I come from a Catholic background. I was a Catholic altar boy. I believed in Jesus. I didn't know much about him. You know, I just heard, heard what was said. I didn't really understand a lot of that. But when the gospel was shared with me, when Brother Jack Thrift who was a young uh, three-striper, a buck sergeant in the Air Force, and he worked for me when I was in the fuels lab. I was a staff sergeant, and he was one of my lab technicians. And that boy came from a, a fundamental, independent Baptist church in Houston, Texas, Parkwood Baptist Church of Houston, Texas. And he was on fire for the Lord. His little wife, Mary, they'd been married, I think, three or four months, and she came back to England. Well, she ended up leading my wife, Lisa, to the Lord. She was 18 years old, led my wife to the Lord. And Jack had been witnessing to me for six months, and I, was, I, was, I knew what he was saying was true. I was being convicted. Man, I was in the cost-counting stage, though. Now, if I trust Christ and get saved, then I'll probably have to quit this and that and start doing this and that, and that's cost-counting. Until the Holy Spirit of God convicted my heart so severely that I said, there's absolutely nothing that matters but trusting Christ for salvation. And so we see the simplicity, just believe on him, believe on him. That's, that's all we have to do. Listen to how Paul phrases it in Romans 4, 1 and 5. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? By the way, that's always the start and stop of every argument in the Bible. What saith the scriptures? Abraham believed God. And it, what's the it there? What's the purpose clause in there? If you've, if you've ever had any uh, English in school and taken uh, English grammar, the, the, the it is the, the purpose clause. For it was counted unto him. The believing was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh not is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteous. And many other scriptures, obviously, in the Bible that, that purport that to be true and declare that to be true. By the way, a good thing to, to keep in mind when you're dealing with somebody who's not saved and, and they're wanting to argue with something, don't debate them. 
Just declare what the Bible says and let the Holy Spirit of God do his work. I remember telling a young guy years ago, I said, well, you know, John 3.16 says, and I quoted it, and he said, well, that's your interpretation. I said, my inter- all I did was quote it. How is that my interpretation? Because he got what it said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we see that God is exceedingly great. Now, I'm going to do the last and then I'll be finished. Look in verse 16 again, the last part. It says, should not perish but have everlasting life. So Nicodemus has learned that God is divinely magnanimous, unbelievably generous, exceedingly gracious, and now he's learning he is astoundingly propitious. Astoundingly propitious. By the way, that word has a bunch of T's in it, and everyone I'm silent. Brother Bobby knows that. He's been to Bible college, seminary. It's not propitiation, it's propitiation. And so what does that mean? Should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is so propitious that he allowed his son Jesus, death on Calvary, to allow him to be gracious to us. You remember that the Bible talks about in Luke, the two men that went up in the temple to pray? The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. And you remember the Pharisee prayed. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men are. He said, you know, know, extortioners and adulterers and just really nasty, ugly, uh, uh, you know, terrible people. I just so thank you that I'm not like them. I'm certainly not like this publican here. And the Bible says the publican would not lift so much as his eye toward heaven, but smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that word merciful is also translated propitiation, propitious. So what the, the publican was actually saying is, God, would you be to me as thou canst be when you look upon the blood on the mercy seat? You know what he was singing? And it hadn't even been written yet. In my hand, no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Because he was learning, this Nicodemus was, how astoundingly propitious God is. That Christ would take upon himself the sin of the world. You know, sometimes I get into to a discussion with somebody who's, you know, a, well, I'm not going to get into Calvinism or whatever, but, you know, I'll say, well, you know, the Bible says that Christ died for our sins, but not ours only, but for the sins of the world. And they almost without exception will say, well, but that means the world of the elect. And I say the same thing every time, Pastor. I say, but it doesn't say that. I think if God wanted us to know that, God knows how to put elect in that verse, doesn't he? The world of the elect? No, not the world of the elect, the world. Everybody, the cosmos, world. If you want to put it this way, humanity, the world. And so God is astoundingly propitious that he has made salvation so available that anybody can believe and receive the free gift of salvation and then praise God they don't perish. Man, that's good news. It's not just good news that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried and he rose again and the resurrection is important. Pastor spoke about that this morning. But you know what the best news of the good news is to me? That having been born again of his spirit, I can never perish. I'll never be lost again. I can never, ever perish. Hebrews 10, 25 tells us, does it not, that God is able to save them to the uttermost who, or Christ is able to save them to the uttermost who come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And here's what I've always understood from that verse. It would be possible for us to lose our salvation if it were possible that Christ would ever cease his ever-living intercession. 
You say, well, I don't know. I got saved. Have you sinned since you've been saved? Have you sinned after you've been saved? Don't raise your hand, but have you sinned today? You going to sin tomorrow? If Jesus did not forever and ever and ever intercede for us, it would be possible for us to lose our salvation because he's not going to die again. The scriptures tell us that in Hebrews. But because he ever liveth to intercede for us, thank God it is not possible that we can lose what he's given to us as a free gift. And that's why Nicodemus learned that God is astoundingly propitious. We see revealed here a terrible tragedy should not perish. That means some will. Don't have to, but some will perish because they've not believed on the name of the Son of God. Isn't that what Jesus went on to say in uh, verse 17? For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Somebody says, well, well, you know, uh, you know I, I didn't do anything wrong like all those people in the Old Testament. I said, yeah, you did. You were born. You were born and inherited at birth a depraved and a sinful nature. And the Bible says that the wicked be estranged from the womb, speaking lies as soon as they be born. You ever heard that before? I had a lady years ago tell me, she said, what are you talking about? Babies don't lie. I said, they do. They're the biggest liars on the planet. Yeah, they are. Now, when a baby cries, what does a parent usually think's happening? They're hungry or they got a dirty diaper, Right? And they get in there and they find out they ain't hungry, they won't take the bottle, and they don't have a dirty diaper. They lied. They wanted you to pick them up. They wanted you to play with them. So they used what they know in their little uh, innate infantness. They say, well, you know, if I cry, they'll come in here and check me out. Little sinners. My grandson Kyle, when he was very little, we had him for two and a half years before we had any of the other ones. And they were at the house one day and he was acting up. I mean... If you've got kids, you know that. And if you've got grandkids, you are doubly sure. And Nikki took him in the bedroom and she disciplined him. And she came out and I said, Nikki, what's wrong with that boy? And she was so frustrated with him. She said, he's a sinner, daddy. I said, oh, never thought of my grandson as a sinner, but he is. He's a sinner, daddy. I said, oh, he is, isn't he? And you see, because we are all sinners, God is exceedingly, I mean, astoundingly propitious towards us so that we can avoid that terrible tragedy of perishing. And then revealed here is that triumphant victory, but have everlasting life. Now, I do want to close with this thought. Can anybody in here tell me how long everlasting is? By the Bible definition, not earthly definition. You know, when John Kennedy was buried back in, what was it, 63? I think he was assassinated in 63. They buried him in Arlington National Cemetery, and they put on his grave, can anybody remember what it's called? The Eternal Flame. It's gone out several times since he's been buried. Had to have been, they had to relight it. But it's still called an Eternal Flame. It wasn't all that eternal, was it? It went out. But you see, God's everlasting life never goes out. Can't be blown out, can't be bought, can't be, can't be fooled around with, because it's everlasting life. And so remember this, by Jesus teaching Nicodemus this, he's teaching us. He's teaching us that our Heavenly Father is divinely magnanimous, unbelievably generous, exceedingly gracious, 
and astoundingly propitious because all we have to do is believe, repent, obviously, and believe upon his name. Paul said in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be, not might be, but shall be saved. I have called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, and I got saved, not because I deserve it, but because of that grace, grace, God's grace. And I didn't get saved because of any good works. I got saved in spite of bad works. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for the session of revelation from Jesus to Nicodemus, which we can read over and over and over again and we can get it. And we can learn with Nicodemus just how you are to all of your creation. You're divinely magnanimous, unbelievably generous, exceedingly gracious, and astoundingly propitious. My mind, Father, staggers to comprehend it all, but I believe it nonetheless. Thank you for your so great salvation, and I pray that you'll help us to continue to trust you and rely upon you every day because thou art the God of our salvation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pastor, God bless you.